is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. Good evening and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk, and to tonight's First Five. Tonight I'm actually going to be playing some best of interviews, and they really are stellar, stellar interviews. One major one that you've never heard before, um, a, a new one, and then a couple of just hitting the top issues of the day. So to start with in this segment, I'm going to play an interview uh, by a woman with a woman named Katie Hopkins. Just uh, recorded this in the last couple of weeks, and uh, I'm pre-recording this just a bit ahead of time uh, because we'll be gone on the 15th, on April 15th, but Katie Hopkins is a brave woman who lives in England. You'll hear her British accent immediately, uh, and she is working very hard in England and actually around the world to raise awareness of what has happened inside England because of the massive influx of Islamic refugees from countries who do not have the same Western civilization cultures as America, England, and Western Europe. You'll hear her talk about the, the crime waves in, uh, in England, not just London, but all over England, the, the way that the, and life has been changed in England, the way that women are, British women are no longer safe in certain areas. In fact, you'll hear her talk about the idea that many people in England are deciding within about 15 years they're going to have to leave the continent, move somewhere else in the world because this Islamic immigration into uh, and it, it is not just jihadist, but the change in culture, the repressive, aggressive change in culture that's happening in England. I will just tell you, I happened to read in the um, news just the past couple of weeks, the London murder rate, London murder rate has now overtaken New York City for the first time ever. And is due in large part to a spate of fatal stabbings and shootings because gun control laws are stronger in England. Many of the Islamic refugees entering England committing violent crimes commit murder by stabbing and she'll talk a little bit about that that the the numbers are staggering alarming upsetting she also made reference to a story that we talked about in the show uh, several times over the years which is the just epidemic or the words of the commentators industrial scale level of british girls raped by muslim gang members and it is not just that this is a just a horrific thing unfolding in england but part of what she'll allude to, we've talked about in the show, too, is the authorities, the police, the media are complicit in keeping this just outrageous violence within England, keeping it under wraps, not reporting it, not permitting these girls showing up at the police stations, uh, obviously having been attacked, not pro- pressing charges, not processing, not processing their complaints. The idea of this being so fearful of being labeled Islamophobic has caused these both newspapers, media outlets, and, poli- and, and police to simply fail to crush this astonishing level of violence that is being seen all over England. So Katie Hopkins lives in England. She's been talking there. She's been in America. I happened to catch her when she was in America uh, and got an interview with her to talk about why she's here, which is she's in America trying to say, don't let this uh, Islamic immigration overwhelm America. 
Keep charge of your culture. Insist on your right to have Western civilization culture be prevalent in America. Insist when you take people in in America, you insist they adapt to Western civilization standards, that they assimilate, that they understand that Sharia law, for example, can never, ever take hold in America. This is a woman kind of trying to raise the red flag before it's too late. She also makes reference to something she's been doing uh, with respect to South Africa. I reported to you on the show just a few weeks ago that in South Africa, after decades of apartheid, decades of truly unfair, egregious, horrible conduct, um, that the there was apartheid, you know, living separately, and the small minority of white uh, citizens of South Africa owned all the power, had all the land, had all the farms, and finally, through the efforts of Nelson Mandela and many others, apartheid was overthrown and black Africans got the same rights recognized as citizens also in South Africa. But what's happened today is that in South Africa, white farm owners are being truly subject to what can only be described as racial cleansing. Massive murder rate in South Africa also happened in Zimbabwe. Massive murder rate where white uh, farm owners are fleeing South Africa there is a, in fact, there is a bill pending in South African government to actually say, add to the Constitution, that the government can simply take away land from white-owned farmers with no compensation and kick them out of the country. This is actually being contemplated as a constitutional change in South Africa. Violence is horrific, and again, for politically correct reasons, nobody is reporting this. The other interview you'll hear in this first hour tonight of my best of is with Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Family friend, great guy, been on the show many times. And he's going to be talking about one of the top stories really in the world, which is the opening of apparently going to be the opening of communications of negotiations between United States and President Trump and Kim Jong-un, the dictator leader of North Korea. Uh, uh, you'll hear him talk about what he thinks uh, that President Trump should say what he anticipates they're going to hear from North Korea. He covers a spate of issues. Alan West does in our interview. But it really, the, one, the reason I chose that to be in this uh, best of tonight is because I wanted to have him tell you about what he thinks how President Trump should handle the negotiations with North Korea. I'm Debbie Georgias, America Can We Talk. Enjoy the show. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. 
The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties. And in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Can you hear us now? Can you hear and welcome back to America Can We Talk. So I mentioned um, before the break that we had someone joining us who uh, I met at CPAC. But I'm just going to explain a little more. So CPAC was, you know, a few weeks ago, and it's a the National Conservative Congress uh, conference and. Um, I just had the great pleasure of ending up at a dinner and meeting Katie Hopkins, who was online with us. She met her through a mutual friend and of all great things was seated next to her. So got to talk. She has a, she is from England. She has a very obvious British accent, but she's doing some amazing work uh, in the world, a brave work in speaking up about the potential danger and threat that radical Islam uh, poses uh, in free society. So, I, I'm so happy to say I tracked her down while she's in the States, and I have her online. So, hi, Katie. Hi, how are you doing? Thank you for that gracious introduction. It's very kind. Well, I'm just so excited to, to have you with us and would love to have you just start with, I mean, we hear these stories. We obviously, in America, we see these uh, attacks uh, by Islamists in England and France and all over our Western Europe, and you're trying to bring attention to the uh, 
changes coming to England as a result of the influx of Islamic refugees to England. So I just would love to have you just explain why you're doing what you're doing and what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, for me, it all started way back when. I, I went through Sandhurst. That's our Royal Military Academy. I always wanted to join the army to fight for my country. And now at 40, whatever I am, three, uh, I guess I just fight for my country in a different way through the media, through the work that I do. But for me, and I think for many other British people, uh, we feel like we're losing our country. You know, my message to Americans is always do not let your country fall as we have fallen. And what we've seen because of open borders, because of being members of the European Union and therefore having all of these people foisted onto us, allowed to stream into our country from all over the world, but particularly Muslim countries, is that our Muslim population in the UK will outnumber us by 2050, so within my lifetime. And in many areas of the UK today, 98% of the population in that area are Muslim. So there's definitely a sense that our country is being taken over, that we are always appeasing those that wish to hurt us, and that we spend far too much time tiptoeing around the cultures that choose to join us or invade us, as I see it, and far too little time standing up for the culture they chose to join. And, and that really that's what I try and do is stand up for the Britain that I used to know. So could you describe, I mean, I just, I, I'm fascinated by everything you do and, and grateful for it. Can you describe, the, the, you say, the culture being changed? In what ways does the influx of Islamic refugees to England change the traditional culture of England? Yeah. It's all pervasive. So if I start, uh, you know, out and about on the streets, increasingly there are areas where regular British women are nervous to go. We have no-go zones where women would not walk with your head not covered or if you weren't part of the Muslim community because you'll be spat at. In our schools, our children are repeatedly, they have to learn as part of their schooling about the Quran, about the fact that Allah is the one God and that God, you know, he's great. And my daughter, for example, uh, last term, three times I had a letter home saying they were doing a visit to the mosque. Uh, other areas, um, they didn't go, I will hasten to add. Um, other areas that are really dear to me where I have great friends, Jewish friends, uh, gold is green. It's kind of really well known as a Jewish community. It's been there for decades. It's a quiet, peace-loving community. What we see is an old building right in the center of gold is green, which is all kosher. It's, all, it's very orthodox, but lovely. They're building a mega mosque right in the center of gold is green. And then we see the other things happening, which you'll have heard about in America, like the grooming of our girls. So these rape gangs that rape our daughters because they perceive white women to be trash. You know, Pakistani men are brought up believing that white women are trash because of the way we live our lives. And so we've just had a 1,000 girls abused by a network of Muslim men, majority Muslim men in a town. And, and having spent time and worked with these girls who've been abused, you know, these networks are systematic, they are coordinated, they are efficient, and they are ruthless, and they are everywhere. So... I don't want to give too dark a picture of my country. I love my country, but these are the realities that we aren't allowed to talk about. Oh, and this is, you know, what you're talking about is, as I use the word brave, I think, several times already in this short time we've been talking, but what you're describing, and I, this is, I have read many accounts in Western Europe and people talking about how their towns changed and how they're, and the, they, they no longer feel safe and they have the, the kind of pressure within 
the Muslim community to insist that their religious faith be taught and pushed and that other people ad- adapt to them. So who's pushing back in England? Who's, I mean, wh- where is the government, first of all? Where are the churches? Who's pushing back? Mm. And I think that's one of the most frightening things, certainly from my perspective, being amongst the media, I guess a little bit on the fringes of the establishment in terms of seeing how it works uh, behind scenes, is the way that we're not allowed to talk about this. We aren't allowed to address this subject. The government will always appease. I see our government as managing the decline of Europe, and God only knows why, but it's the managed decline. And so after every terrorist attack, you know, you will remember we had a horrific summer in London with our bridges and our concerts with our daughters that were blown up. Um, we stand there after those. The government stands there and say, we stand shoulder to shoulder. We are united against terrorism. We carry on as normal. We will not be cowed. They say that every time, every time. If there was a terror attack in the U.K. tomorrow, they'll say that self-same thing. And the thing is, we're all very sick of that. It's no good saying we carry on as normal because we don't. People are edgy. People are nervous. I took my children to London the other day, and I was stood with them, and as we crossed the road... I was telling them, listen, when you cross the road, stand next to this bollard here. It was a big steel lamp type thing, you know, a big steel bollard in the road, a big post. I said, always stand next to the post. And then if a car does, you know, mount the curb, you've got that steel post. And I thought, how strange a conversation for a mother to have with a 12-year-old in the UK today that I'm thinking, look, if you were to be run over by a jihadi, you know, this will give you your best chance of survival. That's really present in the minds of regular people in the UK today and the tragic thing is we're not allowed to talk about it. We're not allowed to say that these are Pakistani Muslim men grooming our girls. We have to use euphemisms. The BBC our state broadcaster uses the euphemism um, Asians which is really offensive actually to half of India, half of Taiwan and the good Sikhs that I know that have nothing to do with this. Or they use another euphemism, Oxford men. The last gang were from a city, Oxford, um, where the university is. They called them Oxford men. You know, they're all Pakistani Muslims. We're just not allowed to talk about it in case we hurt the feelings of the men raping our children. So do you have when these, I, I mean, I'm just so glad to have this truth being told to our listeners. And I love that you're in America spreading the message. So do you have people in government, any of them, trying to do something legally about this? I mean, I, I, I assume you end up prosecuting people, if, if you can catch them, who commit these murders, but, uh, I mean, commit these rapes and, and, um, and, and the other violence. But is, is there any kind of formal effort in the government to, uh, I, and I don't know what I want it to be, but just to crack, to reassert British Christian culture? No, I, no, not at all. I would say the opposite is true, actually, that we, you know, you have our prime minister going on, just like, much like Justin Trudeau, if there's an opportunity for her to celebrate, you know, a Muslim festival or an Islamic festival or celebrate Ramadan or the end of Ramadan, she's right there doing those celebratory uh, videos. You know, the push for um, policing Islamophobia, uh, which is why I'm targeted quite a lot by the police, because, you know, you can report tweets to, to the police and they'll respond to them. And I think probably one of the, you know, if I take one example... One of your American journalists or an activist or a blogger, whatever you call her, Brittany Pettibone, she's not that well-known, but she's like an activist. She's conservative, no criminal record. She tried to come to the UK. The UK stopped her at the airport, detained her for two days, and then deported her from the UK on the basis of future hate 
speech as yet unsaid, and yet jihadis, 452 of them, have returned to our country, and we give them schools, we give them homes, and we try to reintegrate them. You know, that's a special kind of madness that my country is sickening from. That's a great expression, a special kind of madness. You know, it is really, it sounds like, a, I mean, the word I was thinking when you were talking, is like the country is mesmerized or paralyzed. The, the, the people who can see what you're describing, and, and obviously millions of people in England can see what you're describing, and everyone sits back and thinks, I better not say anything because I might get prosecuted, I might get criticized, I might get mocked. And so, but you, it is to to the peril of your own country, of the future of your country. You also mentioned, we're going to have to go off to break here in a second, and I'm hoping you can uh, um, hang with us uh, during sure. the break. But yeah, of course. This idea that the Muslim population is going to be majority in England by 2050, is that, I mean, I guess I want to hit that when we come back. What, what, what is the remedy to that? For example, I assume that you, if there were a change in immigration policy, that may help that to a certain degree. But you can't even get, I guess, you can't get traction in the idea in England of getting, uh, of having a change in your refugee policy. Like like Donald Trump, you see he ran, the problem he ran into America, even not even, you know, not even as, as direct as what you're describing and could not get his uh, orders uh, honored by the courts, couldn't get the American people behind him. So th- these are very hard things. We're talking to Katie Hopkins and we'll talk to you again after the break. Don't go away. nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. 
They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. There's a lot of talk today among media, in academia, in our culture, about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers, it's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. And I, I hope you've been tuned in the last segment. We're speaking with Katie Hopkins, a most uh, brave, outspoken, articulate uh, patriot. Of She's a British woman, uh, lives in England, and she is outside in London. And she has really been trying to raise the alarm bell in um, around the world, but certainly in America, to not let what happens is happening in England happen here in America with respect to the uh, influx of Islamic refugees in England who are not, to say the least, not assimilating, not trying to embrace uh, English, Western, British, Western culture, but instead trying to bring uh, a more repressive culture and intolerant, in fact, violent culture into England. And, and England is is just reeling at the um, at the impact. I do want to switch to talking about South Africa in just a moment, Katie, but I want to... Of course. To, yeah, but one more thing on England. So it is amazing because I still see people saying... Um, you know, Americans going there on vacation, want the kids to see London, want the kids to see, you know, whatever, Oxford or something. But um, so isn't wouldn't this ultimately be impacting, um, you know, tourism? Wouldn't it be impacting this, just the uh, people willing to stay in England? I mean, I would think ultimately these areas you're describing, 98 percent Muslim, I would assume people would want to leave. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a you know, it's a, something I hear about a lot. I get a lot, a lot of emails from people, bless them, who I guess email me just for someone to talk to that they know they can talk to because they, they know where I sit with my views. They know what I think. I get a lot of emails from the elderly, um, 70, 80-year-olds, just like my mom and dad, um, and they say to me that they, you know, they support me, but they are glad that their time is nearly up because they won't be alive to see the day that their country falls. And those, those emails are heartbreaking to read. And then I get a lot of emails from people who are actively looking to leave the UK or have left. So 
So a number of my Jewish friends already have left the UK because they feel directly under attack. And to support that, I'm sure many of your listeners will have heard about the attack on a lady in Paris. She survived the Holocaust, um, but recently was stabbed to death and burnt. Her body was burnt. She was 86 um, by two of her Muslim neighbors. They were 21 and 22. So a lot of my Jewish friends are already on the move and have moved out of the UK to America or other places or to Israel. And then a number of my uh, more Christian friends, not, not that we divide by religion, I'm just thinking of where people go, are looking to move east. So there is a kind of migration east so that as we are replaced in our country um, by Islam, we move east towards the Christian countries and I think you can see Viktor Orban, you can see Hungary, the Czech Republic, Poland starting to become very much, and there is a parallel here with South Africa, starting to become the places to which we will move in order to defend ourselves. And we will start to live behind walls and gates and fences to keep the people that we love safe. Um, so as people have moved towards us, we've, we will move, we will push east. I see, I see that happening. Oh, I've been hearing about that, about people leaving Great Britain, leaving England. And uh, I keep hearing about Poland as, as a particular example. But these former Eastern Bloc countries have been a little firmer than their Western European open society type people. And, and so they have not yet had this this destruction of the Western, of the culture of their country. Um, and so, yeah, I, I've been reading about that, too. So, you know, I, I you do come to America and you speak to groups here in America about what you see. What is the reaction you get? I mean, I do want to turn to South Africa, but I'm, I'm just, I'm fascinated, not just fascinated with, but I'm alarmed by the, what you're describing. I know it to be true from, many, from what I read, and I'm also aware of the ignorance of people who just don't want to be called Islamophobic, don't want to be called a hater, and they won't even deal with the truth. So what, what do you find, your reaction in America? Do you find people who are, can uh, agree that there's a problem, or do you, or you find people who just kind of reject what you're saying? No, no, not at all. You know, one, I, I, love, I love my country um, and the country it was, and I love America. You know, I come to America and I see that you, when you talk about the land of the free, by comparison to the UK, you certainly are. And, and it's my big message here is, you know, don't become like the UK. And Americans are so welcoming, so receptive, and also so, I don't know, it, it, we all feel together, I think, this sense that Trump is giving us an opportunity to at least feel that there's hope. So I always come to America and feel hope. But what I do see here, and it's what alarms me slightly, well, not slightly, it alarms me greatly, is so if you look at my journey in the UK, they took away our freedom to speak. So we can't speak freely in the UK and we will be arrested or charged or interviewed under caution, as I have been by the Major Crime and Homicide Command, one of my columns in a paper. Um, so we lost our ability to speak freely. Now, in America, they're coming for your Second Amendment. We saw it yesterday. And that's not just a few kids getting upset and, oh, isn't that nice, they've got some placards. This is coordinated, it's systematic, it's politically driven, and it's well-funded. They're coming for your guns. And the thing I always say is if they take your freedom to speak and then they take your freedom to bear arms, with what will you defend yourself when they come to take your lives? And that's exactly where South Africa is right now. White farmers cannot survive without their weapons, and white farmers are under attack on a daily basis. 15 murders so far in 2018, 112 farm attacks on white farmers. And what are we, what, 30 days in, or 60 days in? You know, we're barely into this year, and that, those numbers are already that high. Katie, that's, I am so glad. I, I, I'm 
want to turn talk about South Africa. I did mention this a few weeks on my show, a week ago on my show, while it's happening in South Africa. But for the listeners who haven't really been paying attention mm. to this news, can you describe what you are, why you are concerned about South Africa, what's happening there? Mm. Yeah, of course. And you know, it would be of no no fault at all of listeners were they not to know about South Africa because um, the media won't talk about it. Mainstream media will not touch it. No one wants to hear about it because it's white people being attacked. And sadly, we reached a point, rather, where racism can only happen one way. So you can only be racist if you're white. Now, it turns out if you're a white farmer uh, in South Africa right now, it's more dangerous than being a policeman on the front line in South Africa. It's 59 deaths per 100,000. Um, if you're a policeman, it's 55 deaths or murders per 100,000. In California, it's about four, just to give a sense of... Uh, you know, relative um, to the, the risk to those good people. And essentially the political background, in, in a very short summary, is the ANC have stood up and reconfirmed that land expropriation without compensation is their policy. That means they will take the land back from the whites without compensation. And that might sound very grand in Parliament, and it might sound like, you know, retribution for apartheid right. or whatever. But you translate that mm. on the floor with the more terrorist arm of the ANC, the economic freedom fighters, who chant, kill the Boer, kill the white man. And you translate that to black gangs on the ground, and what it results in is husbands being shot and wives being raped and small children also victims of that. Um, And that's happening every day in South Africa. And the whites, they say, a policeman who reached out in South Africa because he can't stand it anymore, um, he said to me that within three years, there will be no more whites farmers in South Africa. And unlike the white rhino, you know, no one seems to care. What a great analogy. Unlike the white rhino, all these the people sobbing over the last white rhino. And here we have, well, I'm glad you are bringing this up about South Africa because I do, you're right, the media blackout is just astonishing in America because the victim isn't the right color. But the, I, I do think you touched on something I was going to say about it, which is in South Africa, because of apartheid, you had decades of farmers White farmers owning land, black native peoples not owning land so much. But the answer now is a blatant racism, not just in uh, the government saying that, you know, we're going to take all the farms away from white people, but just an acceptance that black violence, black native South Africans, violence against killing, raping and, and, and uh, stealing farms from white farm owners. There's no protection. The government doesn't want to get involved and, and doesn't want to take the side of the uh, doesn't want to help the victims. So there are another example, like you're saying, kind of like in England. We only have two minutes left in the segment. Greg's always trying to make me stop talking when I'm not done. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, th- this, this is the same kind of concept in England where you're letting a criminal element drive out Western civilization. One last moment. One minute here. Go ahead. I just felt um, that if we were to pay attention to this and see South Africa, even if you we don't want to talk about it because it's not appropriate, because it's white people being attacked, look at South Africa. Look at the way people have to live behind gates, behind bars, with security 24-7, unable to leave their homes without a weapon. That's coming to us. South Africa is how I see us in London going to Eastern Europe. We will move and move until we're behind gates, behind bars, and until we're making our last stand. And I think that's why we have to stand up together, and we can. We keep sharing our truths. 
We resist the narrative fed to us by the mainstream media, and we get furious and we start to fight back. And in America, how we fight back is we go out to the polls and we vote the populace into the legislature, and that's what matters. So anybody at home who feels like, well, what can I do about South Africa? What can I do about the UK? What can I do? What you can do is get out, fill your car with friends, go and vote, and keep Trump in power and get populists into the legislature because that's how we try and defend the Christian culture that others would seek to destroy. Katie Hopkins, I thank you so very much for this call. I know you're busy doing your tour of the United States. Thank you so much for calling in tonight. Not and, at all. Thank you very much for having me. And for all that you do is just incredible. So uh, we come back. Anyway, thank you so much, folks. Come back no after worries. our break. Thank you, sweetie. <laughs> thank you. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers, and if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. 
Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. We're in studio tonight. We have Lieutenant Colonel Alan West joining us. So nice to have him here. Good to be and with you. Love talking about North Korea. I just, if you weren't listening, I'm going to mention one point he made, which is if President Trump is over in North Korea, wherever they meet and do a negotiation, just letting Kim Jong-un say, this is, this is the last meeting with you. You need to get step down, yeah. which he does. I mean, you know, the more I thought about it, even if it's on the break, the guy is not, I always say, isn't sane, but I mean, he is irrational, he's vindictive, he's, and so the idea of thinking you could move forward with an agreement with him still at the helm is kind of crazy. No, it is absolutely crazy, and that's why I say you, you come to the table uh, prepared to you know, institute the next level of sanctions, and you make it very clear, the next meeting will be without you. And these sanctions, these new sanctions will occur as soon as this meeting is is over. Because then also it takes away the opportunity for him to go back and have some propaganda win. Uh, Because the bottom line, the last thing that President Trump should say is that I will not speak with you again. I I love it. Okay. All right, then. So turning, I want to talk with you about uh, some of the cases that uh, we all have been following in the news relating to American soldiers who, in the course of their service of America, ended up incarcerated and um, after some trial. And the one that was in the news this week I want to start with was Navy sailor Christian Saucier. And again, all these stories are up at org. And this particular one, Christian Saucier, was one we've talked about in the past because it was, uh, it it uh, touched on the allegations about Hillary Clinton. Not allegations. It touched on the reality. Yeah, the reality. What she did. I mean, James Comey came out and he confirmed the fact that that she had, you know, improperly handled classified information. And instead of saying gross negligence, we know that he said she was careless with it. And now we know it was Peter Strzok, you know, this guy at the FBI, who changed that language. Look, Debbie is very simple. When I was a commander in the United States Army at Fort Hood, Texas, I had a battalion of 600 soldiers. If I had an email server in my quarters and I was doing classified information on that email server, you would be dialing, talking to me in Fort Leavenworth right now because I would be there for quite some time. So we cannot have these two different standards of justice. And to me, it was unconscionable that a person would run to be commander-in-chief 
of the United States Armed Forces when they had clearly violated every every single you know rule of law when it comes to handle, handling classified information. It is astonishing. And, you know, folks, we could do a whole segment, a whole second hour just on the kind of trail of crimes of Hillary and Bill Clinton, never accountable, including this one, uh, which uh, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West is making reference to right now. The last uh, came to light during the presidential election cycle, but that Hillary Clinton had set up her own email server and while she served as Secretary of State, receiving classified information, not just once by mistake, but during her entire tenure as Secretary of State, including communicating with the president, who had to have realized, President Obama. Of course he did. Because he's not sending it to at whatever that would have been at At state.gov. Yeah, Yeah, he's sending it to HillaryClinton.com or something. But what happened this week, this Christian Saucier was a a young soldier. He was a uh, sailor. Sailor, Navy guy, yep. And he took pictures for, his uh, answer was, uh, just for keepsakes inside a submarine that was not, He and he appeared to, to recognize it was not permitted. He shouldn't have taken these pictures. And so he got sent to, uh, and they were, he claimed just to be able to show his grandchildren someday, look, what I, this is what I serve. So he got actually sent, spent a year in prison. His family, his mom especially, got really active. And he admitted to it. Yes. He, 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 he said, I'm guilty of it. He didn't try to get out of it. Yeah, and his mom started saying, wait a minute, Hillary can endanger hundreds of, of top-secret uh, communication, email communications, and he takes a few pictures and he's in jail. So I wonder, so President Trump this week, uh, Christian Saucier was pardoned by President Trump. He'd already served his term. He was out, mm-hmm. but President Trump ex- uh, pardoned him, which I, it does have some, um, it, it clears his name legally. Sure, and think about this. Here was a young man who in good faith, signed up to be a nuclear submariner in the United States Navy, I mean, on a boomer. And he gets charged with a felony offense. So he can no longer vote. He can't own a firearm. Right. And as a matter of fact, he was working as a garbage man. That, that, that was the, the only job he could acquire. Now, Hillary Clinton is running around, you know, writing books and on the speaker circuit and, you know, appearing at uh, the Golden Globes and all of the Oscars or whatever, the Grammys, she should be in the position of being incarcerated. The garbage collector. And the garbage collector. But this is the upside-down world that we live in, the same upside-down military that, you know, what's his name, Uh, Bradley Manning, because it's still Bradley. His DNA is still Bradley. I will say that, too. (laughs) Yeah, he's still Bradley. Bradley Manning now is free. Over running for Congress. And running for Senate in the state of of Maryland. Over 700,000 pieces of classified information that were divulged. That's traitorous. It was done in a combat zone in Iraq. That's punishable by death in the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Now, Bradley Manning is out there. I'm Chelsea now, and I'm running for Congress. Bo Bergdahl. Bo Bergdahl, uh, you know, guilty of desertion. Yeah. But, but he's out there walking free. What was I, I've forgotten how that case came out. Was he just never charged I forget, with Bo Bergdahl? Was he charged? No. That what happened? He was completely exonerated because oh. the the military judge in the case uh, and his name just slipped my mind. But the military judge in the case basically made a subjective call, saying that in his mind, Bo Bergdahl had already suffered uh, and everything. Oh, that's right. You know, being held by the Taliban. Let me tell you something. The Taliban is not going to hold you for five years for no reason. Okay, I know what they do to our folks in the combat zone when they capture them, being in Iraq or, or Afghanistan, what have you. So why was Bo Bergdahl held for five years? And he looked pretty good shape, other than he was blinking because they just took a blindfold off his eyes. 
But he did not have to go in for any psychiatric treatment. He did not have any health issues. He wasn't Otto Warmbier. Yes. Yeah, he wasn't tortured. Yeah. yeah. So the other case, because we talked about it before, but, you know, these are really, uh, to me, and I, we were saying this before we get started, so I'm repeating myself, but to me, people who are willing to serve in America's military, put their lives at, at risk, you know, leave their families at home, and they're, they're, they're out every day risking their lives so that we have a free country, so we have a safe country, so we have security. I have a pretty high standard. I, I don't want them to, to do things that are really immoral, but a pretty high standard that says, you know, you don't lock them up unless something was really egregiously wrong. And in this particular case, that uh, Christian Saucier, was, it seemed absurd to lock up someone like that. But I do want to turn to the next one because we've talked about him before. The Clint Lawrence story. Yeah. And do you want to, I, I have it in front of me. Do you want to quick tell it? Or I want to well, remind it's listeners. Well, simple. It's a young Texan uh, who was put in charge of a, a platoon in Kandahar. It was the uh, Jerry Maiwan district. I know it very well because I spent two and a half years over in Kandahar uh, province area. And he ordered the firing upon of uh, some Taliban scouts that were on a motorcycle gunning it toward his position. Two of them were killed. The other one was later found in a uh, in in the village where an American had just been shot in the neck. He had gun residue on his hands. Right. Yep. That evidence was not presented in the case in in his trial, and so they charged him with premeditated murder. Which to me, charging someone with premeditated murder in a combat zone, you might as well write speeding tickets at NASCAR. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but the people he killed were, I mean, they were charging his position. They, they didn't position. stop when and they were told. No, they, they didn't stop when they were told. And every single one of us that have served over there in Afghanistan, when you see two or three fellows on a, on a dirt bike, motorcycle, that's a scout team for the right. other side, especially when they're coming towards your These position. are not elderly citizens. These are young, fighting-age men. Military-age Muslim males. That's what we call them. Yeah. Okay. So this idea. So and the Clinton Lawrence. I know. I've. I know you have been very vocal speaking up about the, the the notion he should be pardoned. Absolutely. And and I've, I'm sure many of you listening. We signed petitions. So do you have any notion? Is this something under contemplation by President Trump? I, I have no idea. As a matter of fact, I mean, no one saw the uh, pardon for our, the uh, sailor petty officer Saucier. So I would hope that maybe the word is getting to President Trump, and this would happen. Clint was charged, I mean, uh, sentenced to 20 years in prison. In yeah, Fort 10 years ago or something? Or yeah. yeah, well, yeah, yeah. No, not 10 years ago. It was probably about uh, six or seven years ago. Okay. And and so Burl Bergdahl, who deserted in the face of the enemy, is free. Someone who stood and ordered the engagement of the enemy is in prison. That's 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 absurd. It's absurd. It, it just, as I say, the failure to honor the military and the risk they take and what they, they do for us every day, it, it's mind-boggling. Okay, we only have two and a half minutes left. There was another case I was going to talk with you about, but I'd rather switch to making sure you tell our listeners about what you're doing with Texas Public Policy Foundation. Yeah. So I'll just tell you, folks, we're going to have Corey Claggett on the show in a couple of weeks, a U.S. Army private who served uh, served some time in um, over a uh, his conduct in the military, which I can't get into or else we're out of time because I want to yeah. talk with you about this. So Texas Public Policy Foundation, one of the most fabulous think tanks in America, state-based think tanks, has a new initiative, and uh, Pr- Lieutenant Colonel Alan West is heading it up. The new initiative is called the... Um, Booker T. Washington Initiative, and you're heading it up. So can you, in two minutes, tell us what you're doing? Absolutely. When you think about a, a role model that this country could have, one of the great educators, one of the, the great success stories is Booker T. Washington's story. I would tell your listeners, please read his autobiography, Up From Slavery. It's an incredible story how this guy born into slavery who walked 
pretty much so from present day West Virginia to Virginia to get an education and then became uh, the person uh, in charge of establishing a school in Tuskegee, Alabama. And eventually that school hosted a president of the United States of America. It's phenomenal. But Booker T. Washington believed that education had to be relevant. Education just, just could not be focused on book learning. It was all about, you know, the entrepreneurship that you could get from education and the self-reliance. People have to understand that the students of Tuskegee Normal and Industrial Institute built that school as they were going along and acquiring new buildings. So they learned architecture. They learned uh, woodwork. They learned construction. They grew their own food. They sold food. They, 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 they built the bricks. They learned brick masonry because that's what he wanted. So when I look at that, this is what we need to do today. We need to refocus our education and make sure it's relevant. We're just not teaching how to take a test. We need to make sure that education is focused towards self-reliance. And we need to make sure that education is developing critical, productive uh, thinking skills and, and overall uh, the ability for people to come out of high school and be able to take care of themselves or go on to, uh, to college. It's about having a trade or developing yourself uh, highly in, in, in intelligence, but also about character because that was another one of his big sticking points. So this is Texas Public Policy Foundation's or uh, uh, effort to really provide a meaningful and actually effective anti-poverty program. It's a notion that, that I, I'm reading from something they put out, but mm -hmm. the notion of two pillars, education and entrepreneurship, creating the foundation of self-reliance. Yes. So you can get, instead of poverty programs that have not lifted the poor, no. the actual in instilling of values and, and uh, quality education, meaningful education, entrepreneurship. Okay, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, we could probably talk for two hours. Thank you so much for coming Always in tonight. Always a pleasure, Debbie. Loved having you. And folks, come back to America Coming Talk right after the break. Well, 